Welcome to another episode of Out the Rabbit Hole here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. We're also on the web at KUCI.org. I'm Robert Larson. This is our September 18th, 2008 edition of the show. 5.07 p.m. on the clock here in Irvine, California. Before we get going today, a couple of quick reminders. I'd like to let you know that the opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the KUCI staff or management or the UC Board of Regents. And if you want to give me some feedback on the show, I always appreciate that. You can email me at rglarson at KUCI.org. You can also catch me on MySpace. That's myspace.com slash out the rabbit hole. Today is the latest installment in our ongoing series on election integrity. In this uh, election year, it's simultaneously amusing and disturbing to see the mainstream media so excited about this presidential contest, yet utterly unwilling to look at the overwhelming evidence that our elections have become frauds, that they are being rigged, stolen. One of the most egregious examples of what if, uh, is what happened in Ohio in 2004, as we've talked about several times on this show. If even better and more meticulous documenting of these crimes is what's needed to fix the situation, to bring justice to it, then our guest today is more than filling that need. He is Richard Hayes Phillips, and he has an astonishing story to tell about some amazing work he has done, as documented in his book, Witness to a Crime, a Citizen's Audit of an American Election. Uh, Richard Hayes Phillips, we got you uh, hooked up here? Yes, you do. Can you hear me? Yes, I'm hearing you fine now. There was a little okay, concern before we got going here, but hey, everything <laughs> sounds good now. Um, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yes, uh, so uh, I'd like to first talk about how, how this book came together, but let's before we do that, let's talk a little bit about your background. I have four degrees in politics, geography, history, and geomorphology, which is a geologic field. It's the study of landforms and the processes that create them and destroy them. I have engaged in numerous environmental investigations, but I had never been an election fraud investigator. I didn't know a poll book from a voter signature book when I started out. I only used four statistical techniques, addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division. This isn't very difficult work. It's just tedious, time-consuming, and requires much attention to detail. And so, yes, then there was a little series of events. Can you t talk to us about that that led you into looking into this Ohio 2004 election and, and doing all this research? Was there, there was an email or something? Yes. Can you talk to us about that? I received an unsolicited email from Fernwoods, who turned out to be a woman named Karen Giles living on a mountaintop in Pennsylvania. She had recently added me to a massive emailing list, and she sent me an email entitled something like this. Could someone please look at these numbers? This looks like proof to me. And the email contained obviously incorrect election results from Cuyahoga County, from the Board of Elections. Cleveland is located there, the number one Democratic stronghold in the state. And when the Board of Elections told me not to worry about it, that these numbers showing a quarter of a million more ballots cast than registered voters were in fact just data entry errors. They said it didn't carry over to the candidates' vote totals, so I downloaded the candidates' vote totals, precinct by precinct, for both the 2004 election and the 2000 election, and I saw that in precincts that had historically gone 92, 95, 98 percent for Gore, there were astounding vote totals awarded to third-party candidates I'd never heard of in the 2004 election, as much as 30 percent for Michael Badnerik, as much as 40 percent for Michael Perutka in these same precincts. These were clearly carry votes shifting to other candidates. This made me a witness to a crime with a duty to investigate and report it. 
And then, uh, from what I've gathered, you really got obsessed with this, and it seems to me that turned over pretty much your entire life for a period of, of a couple of years into researching this and traveling all over and sleeping on floors. And can you talk a little bit about that experience, what that was like, and how you were being led along to these different locations? Well, I called Bob Fetrakis right away, the publisher of the Columbus Free Press. Uh, Karen put me in touch with him. And he told me, this is the very sort of attention to detail that we need. We'll publish your work. This is the most difficult thing you will ever do because there is a different story in every county. This is the most important thing you will ever do, and this will make you famous. I did the work anyway. Uh, I had not a lot of funding uh, for the first two years and no funding after that. I did indeed sleep on floors or sofas if I was fortunate, and uh, analyzed the precinct results for 82% of the precincts in Ohio, and eventually, once the ballots were ruled to be public record, I started submitting public records requests to boards of elections in the most suspect counties in Ohio, and descended upon them with citizen volunteers equipped with digital cameras to photograph the actual evidence from Ohio. Ballots, poll books, voter signature books, ballot accounting charts, more than 30,000 images in all. Now, it, it was important to, to photograph all of the, this uh, forensic evidence because there was uh, a fear that all of this was going to be destroyed? Correct. Uh, under federal law and state law and Secretary of State directive, and J. Kenneth Blackwell is not culpable on this point. He did his duty on this point. He issued a directive to all the boards of elections. In fact, he did it twice, saying all ballots used and unused must be retained for at least 22 months. That is not ambiguous. But at the end of the 22-month period, whatever records still survived could have been destroyed by the 88 boards of elections in Ohio. It was already the spring of 2006 by the time Attorney General Jim Petro ruled that the ballots were public record. And it took us a couple of months, sometimes three months, to gain access to the ballots in some of these boards as they tried to delay us with an array of county prosecutors or in one case with armed, uniformed paramilitary policemen. We eventually got a look at ballots, but we were still photographing ballots right up to destruction day, right the, on the eve of the day that they could have shredded all these ballots. And then we filed in federal district court in Columbus and asked for a federal order preventing the boards from destroying the ballots, and we did obtain that. But 56 of 88 counties did destroy at least some of their election records, especially unused ballots. And a million of those were destroyed. 600,000 voted ballots were destroyed. But that's only 10%. We may have succeeded in rescuing 90% of the voted ballots in Ohio. And the 90% uh, could very well be enough to paint a picture, to uh, br bring this in into court, to um, create rulings that will uh, bring justice to this situation. I would hope so. I have recently submitted a second declaration to federal court uh, outlining about 20 different specific examples of election rigging and only the ones for which I can name witnesses, whether friendly or hostile. That ought to be a good starting point for a genuine criminal investigation. Yes, and uh, we had uh, Cliff Arnebeck on the show here a couple of weeks ago, an attorney involved in this. And uh, what is your relationship with Cliff? Are you working with him on that lawsuit? Yes, I've worked with him uh, off and on um, for four years since shortly after the election. And it is the suit that he filed, King Lincoln versus Blackwell, uh, that resulted in a court order preventing the surviving ballots from being destroyed, and that is the suit which he now seeks to reopen, and he asked me for a declaration stating why we can't wait. 
Okay, great. And so if anybody is interested in that, uh, we had mentioned that they could go to uh, the Velvet, uh, when it was the Velvet Revolution or is the uh, Rove Cybergate campaign. And they either they can go to Google that, and they can if people want to make a tax deductible uh, contribution, they can do that. Is that correct? Uh, I believe that is so. And if you want to see my second declaration to federal court, it is now online on my website, witness2acrime.com, and you'll see it listed on the table of contents. Okay, witness2acrime.com. I urge you all to check that out. And the book, Witness to a Crime, A Citizen's Audit of an American Election by Richard Hayes Phillips. He is our guest today here on Out the Rabbit Hole with me, Robert Larson, KUCI in Irvine. Uh, let's talk about, you hear people say that, people that haven't, in my opinion, haven't looked into this too deeply, you hear people say that, well, there were some things that went on, but... Uh, nothing that was enough to change the result. And uh, talk to us about that, about how there were so many different little things and some actually a little bit bigger things that occurred and, and how that the numbers, if we add these things up, the quote-unquote official result is, is highly in question. Well, that's exactly the point. Uh, there may not be one single method of election rigging in Ohio that accounts for a 118,600 vote margin between Bush and Kerry. After all, there was a different method in every county, so there's no way that one method caused this. If people are looking for a statewide methodology across the board, they're not going to find it. Uh, and we looked at both red counties and blue counties. We did not find red counties rigged for Bush and blue counties rigged for Kerry. We found red and blue counties rigged for George W. Bush. The methodologies differed. Yeah, and, and there were. Could you talk about a couple of them that actually did result in a, a fairly high number of questionable votes in, in some of the more egregious things that occurred? Yeah, um, I will start with blue counties. Um, the single thing that probably affected the most votes was an act of voter suppression, withholding 122 voting machines in Franklin County, Ohio, that were never delivered to any polling place anywhere. 68 were never intended to be delivered and were left in the warehouse. Another 54 were supposed to be delivered, all of them to precincts in Columbus, the Democratic stronghold in Franklin County, they were instead loaded onto a truck and driven around the city all day and never delivered. That was the reason for lines at the polls, four hours long, snaking out the door and down the street and around the block in a cold November rain. It was an easy task to calculate what the vote count might have been if all the machines had been deployed and distributed equitably. John Kerry suffered a net loss of 17,000 votes in Columbus alone because of the discriminatory allocation of voting machines. The Columbus Dispatch said it was more like 15,000, and I regard that as vindication of my work. Thank you very much. Uh, there were many punch card ballots, 93,000 regular ballots in all, mostly punch cards, on which no vote was recorded for president. These were, these came disproportionately from blue counties, especially from precincts which had voted overwhelmingly for Kerry. And the reason for this was not hanging chads, which is what we may be expected to find, but rather most more than half in some of these eight urban counties that we audited, two-thirds of the ballots not counted as votes for president had double punches, one for Kerry and occasionally for Bush, and one for a third-party candidate that I'd never heard of before. It seemed impossible that so many voters, 6, 8, 10, even 12 percent in a precinct, could have made the same mistake, punch for Kerry, and then gone farther down the column and punched for Badnerik or Perutka, whom they probably never heard of, and not even realized they were voting for another presidential candidate. That's two mistakes attributed to so many voters in single precincts. We have complaints from voters who swear that they were given punch cards already punched for president. And if they had punched for Kerry, they would have 
cast an overvote, two punches, and it wouldn't count. We have photographs of more than 2,000 of these from eight urban counties, representing one-twelfth of the data set. There could be 24,000 of them. I don't know. Uh, there were Now, why did so many carry votes migrate to other candidates? In the urban centers in Ohio, there were many polling places where numerous precincts voted in the same polling place. And under Ohio law, the sequence, the order in which candidates' names appear on the ballot, or in the case of punch cards, they appear on a booklet attached to the machine. They don't actually appear on the ballot. This sequence must rotate from precinct to precinct, all in the name of fairness to give everybody a chance to be listed first because it is argued that so many voters are so lazy or so stupid that they do not read through the whole list of names <laughs> and they vote for the first one listed even in a presidential election. So if you take your correct punch card from your correct precinct and bring it to the wrong voting booth intended for a different precinct, you think you're punching for Kerry. But when you put that ballot in the correct ballot box, the tabulator is going to read it for Badnerik, Perutka, for candidate disqualified, who used to be Ralph Nader, or George W. Bush. And sometimes this was by design. There are pink memo sheets in the voter signature books in Cleveland. Many of them refer to voters going to the wrong voting booths, and one in particular is frightening. It says, 11 o'clock, inspector override, vote at any vacant booth. 4 o'clock, inspector came back, instructed voter to vote at precinct. During this five-hour period, more than 100 carry votes in that polling place migrated to Badnerik, Peruka, and Nader, and there are no roving inspectors authorized to go from polling place to polling place in Cleveland and overrule trained precinct judges to make sure they allowed voters to go to the wrong voting booth. And the other thing about those multiple precinct polling places, each precinct has a table. And if you don't get in the right line, because nobody's directing you to the right line, and you stand in line for an hour and you get up to the table and you find out you're not on the voter rolls, maybe they don't tell you, oh, you're in the wrong line. You need to get in the back of another one-hour line and stand in line again and in the right precinct. Instead, they give you a provisional ballot and it doesn't count because you cast it in the wrong precinct. You're in the right building, but at the wrong table. It, so, and so some of these things, it appears that this was deliberate. This was not accidental. This guy going around changing the, the, the command to right. uh, where the, the ballots uh, could be um, uh, dropped in, in which... Uh, so who, yeah, do we, we know, know who that we person know the was? names of the precinct of the poll workers who observed him because they wrote the complaint and signed their names, but we don't know who the roving inspector was. It was somebody they didn't know, and they just assumed he had the authority to tell them yeah, to do that? that's my understanding of it, because I asked the deputy director of the Division of Candidate and Voter Services in the Cuyahoga County Board of Elections, a woman I trust completely, uh, Betty Grant Edwards, and she said she knew nothing about roving inspectors that would go from place to place and and make sure that precinct judges would allow voters to go to the wrong voting booth so that their votes would migrate from Kerry to other candidates. And this, I want to know who this was and how many polling places he went to and who hired him. Right. Do, do we have a description of this fellow? Uh, maybe we could. Uh, you know, as I say, you know, the, the names of, of the uh, poll workers are known. In fact, there's a CD that comes with my book with 1,200 photographs of evidence from Ohio, and that pink memo sheet is included. And, you know, the names are there for the world to see. Yeah, and I do want to say, I mentioned that name of that book again, Witness to a Crime, A Citizen's Audit of an American Election. We're speaking with Richard Hayes Phillips, and yes, and it does come with that CD with uh, 1,200 documents, you said, 1,200 yeah, images? 1,200 photographs 
of actual evidence from Ohio and some other files as well. Right, and the book itself, the print there, it, it is just chock full of data, of, of charts, of numbers, numbers that have been crunched. And, and if you are a person who understands numbers and likes to look at those things, it's great. And it's also well-written. It's a great story. Uh, just uh, Richard telling how he got involved in this, how he went around and did this, and uh, felt it was his duty as a, a person who had witnessed a crime. And I... I applaud you for doing this Richard and I'm really glad you're here with us today to share this and so uh, the let's again the other thing that you mentioned earlier about the uh, voting machines in Columbus uh, not enough being allotted and they were being driven around on a truck do we know who gave that order I don't know that we do um, we have a redacted list that gives even the serial numbers of those, those machines that were supposed to be delivered, and they're blacked out with a, uh, not an opaque magic marker because you can still see the numbers. You know, I don't know who did this, who, who blacked them out and, and decided that they shouldn't be delivered, but all 54 of the machines that were in that truck were supposed to be delivered to precincts in Columbus. And, you know, if... Six out of ten precincts in Franklin County are in Columbus. Then the chances of a machine that is not delivered being withheld from a Columbus precinct is, of course, six out of ten. But 54 out of 54, the odds of that happening at random are six tenths or 0.6 to the 54th power. Try doing that on your pocket calculator. It's going to say error. <laughs> yeah, the, the, these things just uh, it it really boggles the mind to yeah, think that this could have been. <laughs> and there are all different methods of vote rigging in red counties. I mean, you can't if you're going to rig the election for Bush, you can't rig the red counties in the same way. If you let voters go to the wrong voting booth, it's Bush that's going to lose the lion's share of the votes. So one of the methods that was used, and they need to back up a little bit here, there were 12 counties in southwestern Ohio where John Kerry received officially fewer votes than Ellen Connolly, a little-known, underfunded African-American municipal judge from Cleveland who had never run a statewide race. She was per, uh, recruited to run for the Democratic nomination for Chief Justice of the Ohio Supreme Court. She won the primary, was running in the general election against a well-funded white male incumbent named Thomas Moyer. Now, for every 10 people who cast ballots for president, there were only eight people who cast ballots for chief justice. The other two out of 10 didn't make a choice. And that's to be expected in down-ticket races. Sure. But both elections were close. Officially, Kerry got 49%, Ellen Connolly got 47%. So since so many more people voted for president, you would expect the presidential candidates to get more votes than the chief justice candidates in county after county in Ohio. But there were 12 counties in southwestern Ohio where Kerry was awarded fewer votes, not just a smaller percentage, fewer votes than Ellen Connolly. There would have to have been tens of thousands of voters who supported a black liberal judge from Cleveland for chief justice and George W. Bush for president, or else the official results were not true and correct. Now, I interviewed Ellen Connolly. Mm -hmm. She never set foot in southwestern Ohio. She had not one yard sign in southwestern Ohio. She spent one nickel per vote received in the state of Ohio. And Kerry, the best-funded Democratic presidential candidate in history, couldn't get as many votes as Connolly? Well, it turned out that in three of these counties, Kerry couldn't even get as many votes as Al Gore had gotten in 2000, and Gore did not even contest Ohio. He pulled out a month before the election to concentrate his resources on Florida. So what those results were telling me is that Bush got all the new voters, because there was a much bigger turnout in 2004. Right. Bush got all the new voters, all the Nader voters, because he was disqualified from the ballot, and some of the Gore voters, or else the official results were not true and correct. Well, when we started auditing these Connolly Anomaly counties, we found in nearly every audited precinct in Claremont, Dark, Van Wert, and Mercer counties, we photographed or photocopied substantially more ballots than the total number issued to the voters. Some of those ballots were never touched by voters. And if some of the ballots are fake... 
How do we know that any of the ballots are real? In one county, in Dark County, the back side of the punch card ballots, some of them were blank. Not even the year or the name of the county, much less the name of the precinct printed on the back side. These were wild card ballots that could be used on an as-needed basis in any county to stuff the ballot box. And it appears that somebody actually exactly did that. That's what it appears. And um, there were other methods of vote rigging in red counties as well. Uh, in the two counties that we audited that used optical scanners, in both cases we found ballots that had been altered before run, being run through the scanner. In Miami County, Ohio, the favorite method was to take undervotes, ballots with no mark for president, and fill them in for Bush. You can tell. Sometimes the mark for Bush is such a totally different hand than the rest of the ballot. Most famously, one ballot where there were back-and-forth squiggles for all the candidates, except for Bush, that was filled in nice and neatly and, and filling the whole oval. Um, and also in Miami County, there were 570 remakes Yes, the boards of elections in Ohio are allowed to remake ballots that they don't feel are being read properly by the optical scanner or the tabulator. And they are supposed to keep the spoiled ballots that they are allegedly duplicating, and not one county in Ohio could produce those original ballots, and they cannot verify that the remakes are authentic. In fact, in Miami County, it turned out that the official results were wrong in all 82 precincts. What brought this to mind was a precinct with 98.55% turnout. 679 out of 689 voters supposedly cast ballots. Well, this is why you need to look at the voter signature books and the absentee voter lists and the provisional voter lists. If you don't do that, you don't know when you're auditing the ballots that you even have the right number of ballots. Mm-hmm. How would you know if the ballot box has been stuffed or if ballots have been destroyed if you don't know how many were actually cast? So we found that they had the wrong number of ballots on occasion off by dozens or in one occasion off by more than 200 in every single precinct in Miami County. They didn't match the poll books, and they all, the official results also didn't match the computerized database of voter histories that the director of the Board of Elections went into to help with the investigation. Steve Quillen, the most cooperative, transparent official we encountered in the whole state of Ohio. He's a registered Republican and a former military intelligence operative. And he commanded his database to tell him how many people who were still registered in 2006 had been registered in 2004 and if they voted and if so in what precinct and he too came to the same conclusion he said quote you guys are right and handed us a pre- uh, printout showing that the official results were wrong in all 82 precincts and in claremont county the favorite method of rigging ballots was to take ones that were marked for carry put a little white sticker over the carry mark and fill it in for bush and then run it through the tabulator through the scanners that, that is astonishing. The recount observed many of these ballots. Yeah, yeah, you've got uh, an image of that yeah. on the cover of your That's book, right. Witness to a Crime, and it, how many, did you say, of these have been actually seen? Well, we have photographs of only ten. There were six different races. There was only one surviving stickered presidential ballot. There were stickers on ballots for Supreme Court, county court, county commissioner, state representative, and there were ballots changed from a vote for gay marriage to a vote against gay marriage. Uh, however, the witnesses to the recount in December observed many of these stickered presidential ballots, and that would be in the among the 3% of the ballots that were actually hand-counted in public view. God knows how many more there were in the other 97% of the ballots in Claremont County. When I tried for weeks and weeks to be able to use cameras to photograph these ballots, an entire array of county prosecutors was brought to bear against us to try to prevent us from photographing the ballots. They wanted to give us photocopies at our great expense. And I said, that won't work. We know about the stickers, and a, black, and a white sticker on a black-and-white ballot will not be obvious on a photocopy. We need to use cameras. And an assistant county prosecutor said, well, there really weren't very many of them. 
And I asked her, well, how many would that be? And she told me in writing there were fewer than 100. Well, that would be fewer than 100 felonies, and that would be in just the 3% of the ballots that were hand-counted in December. By the time we got there with our cameras, there was only one surviving stickered presidential ballot. That's because the Board of Elections made pristine remakes, duplicates, from the unused ballots, and then they had to destroy the unused ballots because they didn't have enough of them left over to withstand an audit. And they had to destroy the ballot stubs that are torn off the voted ballots because they could no longer verify that the ballots we were photographing were in fact the ones that were issued to the voters. And this in one of the four counties where the absentee ballot box was stuffed as well. Uh, I got to ask you a little more about these stickers. Okay, let's uh, say that somebody is filling out a ballot and they realize, uh, this person realizes that he or she has made a mistake. Oh, I didn't really mean to vote for John Kerry. I wanted to vote for George Bush. Would this even be permissible, even be legal for them to take it back to the poll worker and say, oh, can I have a sticker so I can change my vote? Would that even be considered the reason? Wouldn't you just get a whole new ballot? I don't understand. Yeah, it's a fair enough question. No, you get a whole new ballot, and you can do it twice. You're allowed three tries under Ohio law. If you mess up three ballots, uh, <laughs> you go home and try again next year. <laughs> so but you do get three tries to get it right, and they don't hand out stickers. Right, there's no provision for stickers. And the, the witnesses to the recount in December confronted the Board of Elections. The Green, Libertarian, and Democratic witnesses confronted them. The Green Party witness, Bob Drake, with whom I've talked many times, said that at one of these meetings, a, an employee of the Board of Elections recruited him to carry a box upstairs for her, and that was to get him alone so she could tell him what happened. And according to Bob Drake, she told him that the director of the Board of Elections, Danny Baer, a registered Republican, sent the deputy director, a registered Democrat, home sick on election night, had access to the ballots all by his lonesome, and came down the stairs with a box full of stickered ballots, and the employees of the Board of Elections were so frightened they didn't know what to do. Oh. And at the third meeting, according to Bob Drake, Danny Bear actually admitted attaching the stickers himself. No, he's not in jail. Uh, any charges pending? Or no. Any? <laughs> so, now, there were never any ballots found with a vote for George Bush that was stickered over and then one marked for Kerry. None were found uh, like that. Not that the witnesses to the recount saw and not that I saw. In fact, I didn't see a single precinct where I could see that votes were rigged in favor of John Kerry. There was one precinct in Van Wert County where the poll workers borrowed a voting machine from another voting, another precinct. And, of course, the ballot rotation was different, and George Bush was the net loser, and J. Kenneth Blackwell, rather than allowing uh, Bush's votes to go libertarian, ordered Van Wert County Board of Elections to report a count of zero for the entire precinct, even the absentee ballots, which had been unaffected by the mistake. So everybody was disenfranchised in that precinct. Nobody's vote counted. Uh, but that's the only case I saw of any significant number of votes being lost by George W. Bush in the state of Ohio, and that was an error. That was not fraud. Yeah. Uh, this is Robert Larson, Out the Rabbit Hole, KUCI in Irvine. We're speaking today with Richard Hayes Phillips, and we're talking about his book, Witness to a Crime, A Citizen's Audit of an American Election. And uh, if uh, I know we've talked about election fraud on this show many times, and but I really have to say that this book is so full of of numbers of of hard facts of of the hard work that you know went into this to collect all of this data and uh, it's uh the the official record of the election uh, what is the term you use in your conclusion richard i, I think it's the document of record It'll yeah. stand the test of time this is the book that other people will cite this is primary evidence this is eyewitness history Yes. And I probably should touch on a few more red counties if we've got the time. Uh, yeah, I do. Could, could we, uh, we were just talking about the, the recount. It, we'll, let's mm -hmm. get to those few more red counties. But first, if we could talk about 
other problems with the recount? Because there are people out there who think, well, they did the recount and, you know, it's showed that Bush actually won. What were some other real problems with the recount? Well, the recount was by its very nature uh, partial. Uh, the boards of elections were supposed to pick precincts amounting to 3% of the ballots cast at random in full public view and then count those precincts by hand. And if the hand count matched the official results for those 3%, they could then run the rest of the ballots to a tabulator and go home. Now, I'll give you a couple of examples. In Miami County, even though there were 570 remakes that we found in a box dated December 16th, these were recount remakes. The Green Party observers made note of this, too, and said that some of the choices made by the Board of Elections workers were questionable. Um, and obviously then they saw the originals and the remakes, or how would they know that the choices were questionable? Mm -hmm. Now, even with 570 remakes, they couldn't get the numbers to match. And rather than recount the whole county by hand... J. Kenneth Blackwell dispatched one of his operatives to Miami County to interpret election law for them, and he said that the hand count does not have to match the official results. It only has to match today's tabulator count. This is only an exercise in hand counting. Hmm. So in other words, if the ballots don't match the official results, as long as you count them up right, uh, you pass the test. <laughs> now, in Claremont County, we can prove not only that the precincts were chosen in advance, the Board of Elections handed me a directive dated four days before the recount showing that Claremont County had already decided to hand count the smallest precincts because these would be the easiest ones in which to get the count to match. But when we examined the absentee ballots in Claremont County, the ones for the hand-counted precincts were denoted in the upper right-hand corner by a handwritten A. That's how they marked an absentee ballot and distinguished it from the regular ballots. In the precincts that ended up machine-counted, and that's 97% of the ballots in the county, the absentee ballots were denoted by an annoying little red smiley-faced rubber stamp in the upper right-hand corner. Now. These ballots, absentee and regular ballots, were mixed together on election night. So these absentee ballots were denoted differently no later than November 2nd, 2004. The Board of Elections in Claremont County knew no later than Election Day which precincts they were going to subject to public scrutiny in December if a recount should become necessary, and this gave them the ability to leave those 3% of the ballots unmolested and rig the rest if they wanted to. And this could be why the hand-counted precincts show 33% for carry, and the machine-counted precincts that we audited showed 23% for carry. That's a substantial difference. It is suspected that other counties in Ohio did the same thing but I can only prove it in Claremont County. It, the recount was rigged because the election was rigged, and that's the important thing to understand. Yes, and there are a couple of people, I believe, that actually were convicted of wrongdoing in regard to the recount. Is that not correct? In Cuyahoga County, I, my understanding is that it was reversed on, on appeal, but what they did was sorted through the ballots in numerous precincts in Cleveland or elsewhere in Cuyahoga County to see if a hand count would match the official results. And they did this until they found enough precincts to constitute 3% of the ballots, and those are the ones that they hand counted in December. And the witnesses to the recount noticed this because the ballots were sorted according to candidate. That was also the case in Miami County, and we found the ballots that way ourselves. But what's more interesting are the counties where the ballots were found to be sorted according to presidential candidate, even in precincts that were not hand-counted in December. 
There's two examples of that I can say pretty quickly. When we were photographing ballots in Butler County in southwestern Ohio, the county that gave Bush his biggest margin of victory, he carried it two to one by 54,000 votes. When we were photographing ballots, a ranking employee of the Board of Elections who was observing us as they needed to do, the ballots were still in their custody, their evidence, she volunteered this information. The punch cards have always worked well for us. The tabulators have always worked well in the past. We have always done our own programming. But for some reason, on the morning of Election Day, a technician from the ES&S Voting Machine Company showed up unannounced at the Board of Elections and reprogrammed all six of our tabulators. And now that could be why a hand count of the photographed ballots consistently fails to match the official results. The discrepancies in one manner or another are frequently 25 or 50 votes, give or take one or two, which tells me that the method of rigging the tabulators may have been to start the precinct at plus 50 for Bush and minus 50 for Kerry, or 25-25 in a smaller precinct. And we found numerous precincts with 50 consecutive ballots for Bush. There was one that had 50 consecutive ballots for Bush at the top of the deck of cards and 212 consecutive ballots for Bush in the middle of the deck, and that is exactly what you would expect if somebody came in after the fact to rig the ballots to get them to match the rigged tabulator count. You'd take 50 carry ballots from somewhere in the middle of the deck, leaving way more than 50 Bush ballots behind because it's a a heavily Republican precinct, and then you replace them with 50 Bush ballots on the top of the deck, and if you forget to shuffle the cards to hide the ballot tampering, you end up with 50 Bush ballots at the top of the deck and 212 consecutive ballots for Bush in the middle. In Delaware County, Ohio, uh, I gained the opportunity to have a look at a precinct without advance notice. We showed up at the Board of Elections one day and after being gone for a week, and we found the building staked out by one of those global security services uh, paramilitary policemen who had been called upon to protect the Board of Elections and to dissuade us from looking at ballots. I believe I said before they were comprised of former Secret Service, FBI, CIA, and Navy SEALs. The man saw us coming, ran into the building. I chased this armed, uniformed paramilitary policeman into the building, down the hallway, around the corner, watched him duck into the boards of elections office and locked the door behind him during business hours. And I watched Kim Spangler, the director of the board of elections, scurry across the floor, duck into her office and crouch beneath her desk behind the window in hopes I would not see her. Behavior indicative of someone with something to hide. A friend of mine advised me this man was a lookout, and we needed to have a look at a precinct without notice because they were tampering with the ballots. Well, I got that opportunity when Kim Spangler said to resubmit my records request over my name only because they wanted to deal with me because I was being nice to them. And so... I resubmitted the records request. I had the same townships, but I changed the precincts. And we came in, or I came in, the next day and with Stuart Wright. And we observed, as a Republican and a Democrat turned the cards, for Genoa Township Precinct I. There were three decks of cards. They were sorted according to presidential candidate. The last deck of cards, the last of three, had a pink remake and three absentee ballots on the top, and then 359 consecutive ballots for George W. Bush. And that is not the sequence in which the voters drop those ballots into the box on election night. It does prove unauthorized access to the ballots. It does prove ballot tampering. I don't know if it's ballot box stuffing, because when we asked the Board of Elections to account for the 22,000 people who must have registered to vote in Delaware County between April and October to bring their total number of registered voters from 78,000 to 100,000, they couldn't do it. They gave us a spreadsheet that was 6,000 names short. So they didn't even have the correct number of registered voters in the official results. We have no idea how many ballots were really cast. Wow. There's only one yeah. red county left to talk about. Yeah, let's, let's do that real quick if we can. Okay.
Yeah, Warren County, Ohio. This is the county that came to public attention on election night when a phony terrorist threat was staged by county officials, and the county building was locked down so that no unwanted observers or the news media could watch the ballots being counted. It was a young reporter named Erica Solvig from the Cincinnati Inquirer, fresh out of college, who broke the story. The, result, the election results had not been reported at midnight. She drove up to find out why and found the county building surrounded by police cars and bomb-sniffing dogs. So she looked into it. She found out that neither the FBI nor the state police had any knowledge of any terrorist threat in any county in the state of Ohio. She obtained emails back and forth between two county officials, the directors of emergency services and building services, dated seven and eight days before the election, planning the Homeland Security alert, even deciding upon the wording that would be printed on the signs to be posted on the county building on election night. Five days before election, the lockdown was approved behind closed doors by the county commissioners, and I found out from the director of the Board of Elections that the board knew about the lockdown a couple of days before the election. And ladies and gentlemen, there is a word for such behavior. It is called conspiracy. We have eyewitnesses, one of whom drew a handwritten map showing the layout of the buildings. He stated that ballots were brought from the polling places, not to the Board of Elections, but to an unauthorized warehouse, the Building Services Storage Facility, which would be under the control of the Director of Building Services, one of the co-conspirators, and that those ballots were there for three or four hours while ballot tampering took place before they were brought into the back door. We have the ballot accounting charts from the polling places. The latest time that we have documented for ballots leaving a polling place was 9.30 p.m. Both the news reporter and the director of the Board of Elections told me quite independently from each other that ballots were still arriving at 12.30 in the morning. That is three hours. They did have at least three hours to tamper with the ballots. Ballots are carried from the polling places by precinct judges all by their lonesome, and the precinct judges are members of whatever political party carried that precinct in the previous governor's race in Warren County. That would be 157 Republicans and zero Democrats. And I asked the director of the Board of Elections if she could verify the chain of custody. Did those precinct judges hand the ballots to you? And she said, why no? We have kids to unload the cars. Now, why were kids unloading ballots for a presidential election at 12.30 in the morning on a school night during a Level 10 Homeland Security alert? I don't believe that's what happened. And in that unauthorized warehouse, here's what I think did happen. If you take, say, 40 carry ballots from each precinct and move them one precinct up the list, those ballots will be counted for Bush due to ballot rotation. The candidates are listed in a different sequence. The tabulator will read those punches differently. There are no punches on the cards to tell the tabulator which precinct is being counted. You have to trust the Board of Elections to keep the cards in the right stacks. And if you do that, you move 40 carry ballots from one precinct to another, one precinct up the list, all the two-person races will rotate. You will reverse the results for the shifted ballots for all the other Democratic offices. But people do split their tickets. Some people don't vote for down-ticket races. Kerry gets damaged more severely than the other Democrats on the ticket. And lo and behold, he gets fewer votes than down-ticket candidates like Ellen Connolly. And ballot initiatives don't rotate. Yes is above no in every single precinct in the state of Ohio. So a vote for gay marriage remains a vote for gay marriage no matter what precinct you move it to, and gay-friendly carry voters become gay-friendly Bush voters, and that's why Warren County was the only punch card county in Ohio that had both anomalies. Kerry got fewer votes than Connolly. Bush got more votes than the constitutional amendment prohibiting gay marriage, one of only three counties where that happened in Ohio. If I yeah. look at those ballots and separate them out statistically by groups, more than half, more than 60%, sometimes two-thirds of the ballots 
accounted for Ellen Connolly, a little-known African-American municipal judge from Cleveland for chief justice, were also counted for Bush. And more than half, 51% in Warren County, even a higher percentage in other counties, of the ballots punched for homosexual marriage were punched for George W. Bush. And I don't know anybody who believes that those results are real. Yeah, I completely agree with you. This, uh, yes, th- that is the voice of Richard Hayes Phillips, and we uh, we are so grateful to have you here with us today. Witness to a crime, a citizen's audit of an American election, all the amazing work you've done there, Richard. It's, it's really uh, outstanding. And so, those of you who uh, are still skeptical that uh, uh, that there was any criminal activity in the 2004 election in Ohio. You need to check out this book, Witness to a Crime, A Citizen's Audit of an American Election. Those of you who who already are uh, know that that's what happened, we had criminal activity there, you still need to check this book out because it, it documents it better than anything else out there. And uh, yes, and you also have solutions here, Richard, and you talk about, as many of yeah. the other election integrity people do, about that we have to go back to the purely paper counting, uh, paper ballots, hand counted, right. in view of everybody, and uh, we got to get rid of the nonsense the way it's being done now. And uh, we're, we're pretty much out of time here, Richard, right. but I there's two things I want to say quickly. Okay. My, the only recommendation I make is paper ballots counted by hand at the polling place in full public view on election night, no matter how long it takes. The minute paper ballots leave the polling place without yet being counted, the opportunity arises for ballot substitution, ballot alteration, ballot box stuffing, and ballot destruction, all of which we documented in Ohio. Crime scene investigators look for three things, motive, means, and opportunity. There will always be a motive to rig an election and win the count. There will always be a means, whatever method of voting is utilized. All Our only hope is to stop the opportunity. And I need to say that four days after the first public announcement that my book was under contract to be published by Kent State University Press no later than the spring of 2008, I received an email from Kent State breaking the contract, forcing us, already traumatized and exhausted, to do all the typesetting, all the formatting, all the editing, all the graphics, and come up with $26,000 to put this book out ourselves in a nice hardbound linen edition with a CD with 1,200 photographs. Therefore, it is only available in person or through mail order or through PayPal through witnesstoacrime.com. Witnesstoacrime.com. Yes, check that out. Witness to a Crime, a Citizen's Audit of an, Amer- of an American Election. Richard Hayes Phillips, uh, uh, you are a, a patriot and a real uh, uh, hero, in my opinion, for uh, doing all this work and putting this together. Thanks so much uh, for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Bye now. Bye now. Okay, yes, Richard Hayes uh, Phillips in, again, a, uh, Witness to a Crime, a Citizen's Audit of an American Election. Uh, uh, it, it doesn't get more uh, well-documented than that. So I'm out of time, and uh, this is Out the Rabbit Hole, KUCI in Irvine. Uh, we've got a new quarter coming up here. I'm hoping I'm still going to be in the same time slot. If not, I will let you know uh, by any means that I, I can. So hopefully it will still be this Thursday, 5 to 6 p.m. slot. And uh, we got Kyle ready to go with... Uh, his excellent music show, and uh, I'll be back with you next week with more Out the Rabbit Hole discussions of uh, uh, exposing toxic contrived realities and exploring enchanted ones. KUCI in Irvine, Robert Larson saying until then, 88.9 FM in Irvine, that is KUCI, 88.9 FM in Irvine, also on the web at KUCI.org. And remember, the opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the KUCI staff or management or the UC Board of Regents. Going to leave you with some music here from Johnny Hickman. <laughs>